This past summer, Vertical went on a short-term mission trip overseas to Southeast Asia, and it was our first trip, and it was absolutely incredible for so many different reasons. If you could find somebody that went with us on our team, you should ask them about it. Uh, But one of the first reasons that it was uh, amazing is it really started uh, long before we even got there. One of the first things that happened was you know, we're preparing for months in advance to go on this trip overseas. And, and about three weeks before we go, we, we get this news. And it, it comes in the form of headlines. And what we found out was that uh, the city that we were going to had had uh, three bombings. And specifically, three different churches had been bombed by a, a group, a militant group called ISIS, three weeks before we left, the city we were going to. So you can imagine Vertical's first mission trip. I'm getting phone calls from moms that are like, "Um, excuse me, I trusted my son or daughter before this, but now that I think about it, who are you, Dale Wallace? Like, what is Vertical? I've never heard of you or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, totally valid. Um, So we prayed and uh, moms prayed with us and uh, the team came together and we went. We went anyways. We were like, we're just going to go. Honestly, we're pretty disposable. And so we'll go. It's all good. Like to live is Christ, to die is gain, right? We're going to figure it out. And so we go and, and it's insane. It's the most incredible thing. It's this, this, this trip that's, that's almost completely evangelistic. Like here's our schedule. Let me give you a glimpse of our schedule in the day. We wake up. We pray. We read our Bibles. We eat. And then we go tell people about Jesus. That was it. That was literally it. And that was uh, kind of uncomfortable for a lot of our team, myself included. Like every single day, you're like, where's the VBS, right? It's a mission trip. Where's the service project? Like what? Right? Like you got to build something or rebuild something that you built 10 years before or something. I don't know. And so we're there, and it's just this incredible thing. We're, every day, we're just telling people about Jesus so much so that we jump in these Ubers. They weren't called, they're called grabs. And we jump in these cars, and it'd be like, who's got dibs on telling this person about Jesus? Because they're stuck with us for the next, like, at least 10 minutes. It was more like every hour. It was an hour because traffic was horrendous, worse than Houston, where I'm from. And so this whole trip was amazing. But what was really sweet was the way back. The way back for our team and for myself included, there was this tension and this thought and this conviction of like, wait a second. If this is what it looks like to live on mission in Southeast Asia, what does it look like back in Waco, Texas? The real promised land, right? Like seriously, we were wrestling with this, this thing so much so that we're, we're coming back on planes and, and people on our team are stopping people in bathrooms in other countries. We're in Cather and this girl is like praying for people in the, in the middle of the airport. It's not even, that was just on the way back. And so we're trying to figure out what are we going to do about all this? Because the reality was what we were realizing were we were willing to risk our lives going to Southeast Asia, but most of us weren't willing to risk our reputation here in Waco. 
What we were seeing was we were willing to share with an Uber driver or whoever we got in the car with or whoever we came into contact with. We were like, let's just, let's just tell them about Jesus. We'd tell anyone about Jesus, but we can't even share it with our own roommates, our own literal neighbors. It was crazy. We're sharing the gospel like multiple times a day with people. And then we come back and we're like, wait. I haven't shared the gospel in the last week, maybe month, maybe longer. So we're living in this tension trying to answer this question, how do I live on mission? Which is what we're going to look at tonight. We're going to see five ways that we can live on mission. This isn't exhaustive. This is just an example that we're going to look at in the person of Paul. In Acts 17, some of you are like, wait a second, what happened to Ring by Spring? That's why I was here. Where's the relationship advice? (laughs) We're done with it. I'm done with it. I don't know if I'll ever do it again. (laughs) No, but sincerely, we're going to take a break and and, and a pause and we're going to talk about missions. And really, if you want to take this all as relationship advice, one way you could do it is you could just look for somebody who is living this way. Look for somebody who's running the race in this way, these five different ways that that we're going to look at tonight as we answer the question, how do I live on mission? And the reason why I think it's important to talk about it is because too often everyone in here thinks missions and ministry is just for me, the dude that gets paid for it, the professional Christian And the reality is, that's not what Jesus said. When he invited people to follow him, he said, come, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And in fact, when we were in Southeast Asia, one of uh, of the missionaries that we were with was a Baylor grad, which was amazing. It was so cool to get to hear his story and how he ended up there and all this that was going on. And one of the things that struck me when he said it was he said, yeah, followers are fishers. Duh. And he said it, over and over, it was like casual. It was almost like everyone already knew this. And I was sitting there going, you know what? I'm like, I didn't know that. And I haven't tweeted that yet. Like, I got to get going, right? Like, this is amazing. Followers are fishers. But the reality is that's like basic. If you're like, yeah, I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. Then, yeah, you're a fisher of men. And so we're going to see what that looks like tonight as we answer this question again. How do I live on mission We're going to be in a text that might be unusual. It's not the Great Commission. It's not Acts 1-8. It's Acts 17. We're going to be in verses 16 through 34. If you'll turn in your Bibles there with me. What's going on? I'm going to give you a glimpse of what's going on here. This is a story about Paul. Paul was somebody who had persecuted the church, but God interrupted his life. Jesus interrupted his life, and he became a, a missionary. He, he, he traveled. His entire life was devoted to telling people about Jesus, but he was also a tent maker as he was going different places. And at this point in the story of Acts, what happens is this is, this is kind of a, a, a historical uh, um, account of what Paul was going 
doing and where he was going. And so in Acts 17, what had just happened before this is he was in Thessalonica. His ministry is bumping and the people, some people are ticked, which usually happens when ministries are bumping. So he gets run out of town. He goes to Berea. When he gets to Berea, the same thing happens. His ministry starts to bump. People are like, who's this Jesus guy you speak of? And he's like, all of a sudden, those same people that kicked him out of Thessalonica come to Berea and they kick him out of Berea. And so his people are like, all right, Paul, you got to go. You're the problem. They want you dead, and we don't want you dead. So we're going to sneak you out, and we're going to send you. And they went ahead, and they sent him to Athens. Athens, Greece. But here's the deal. So this is where we pick up in verse 17. Excuse me, verse 16. Read with me. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens... His spirit was provoked within him, and he saw the city was full of idols. So who is he waiting on? Let's stop right there. We're not getting very far. So Paul is waiting for his team. He is just going to Athens in the meantime. He's like, I don't belong here. This isn't where where I'm supposed to be. How many of you have heard of Paul's letter to the Athenians? Yeah, no. Why? He didn't want to get there. That wasn't where he was going. He was sent there. So he's waiting on his people. He's like, I'm going to wait till Paul and Silas and all my people within his second missionary journey, all those people that were with him, he's waiting on them to show up. But which brings us to our first point tonight of five points. How do I live on mission? The first point of living on mission is that we're meant to work in the waiting. We're meant to work in the waiting. Paul isn't like, you know what, I'm stuck here in Athens. I'm just going to do Netflix and chill because I'm, God hasn't called me to write a letter to this church. He doesn't show up in Athens and think, you know, uh, this is for somebody else. This, isn't, this wasn't a part of my plan. I, didn't, I wasn't supposed to end up here, so I'm just going to take a break from this whole missionary thing. What's crazy, though, I think this is actually a really significant point for college students because the idea of working in the waiting is applicable because most of us are thinking, one day when, then I'll really do that. Let's just look at it for a second. When I graduate, that's when I'll really get plugged into a local church, right? Or when I get married, that's when I'll really, you know, know, devote, myself to to moving overseas. Once I get married, then I can go overseas. Or maybe it's even as simple as I'll read my Bible when I'm done with this whole college thing. Really, college is about kind of this, this season of waiting. You're all waiting on something. But what we forget is that all of high school, we were waiting on college, right? And all of college, we're waiting on this this exciting season called young adulthood, which is way harder than any of us would have imagined. Let me just warn you. And we're just waiting and waiting and waiting. And we're like, well, I'll, I'll be more serious about faith, you know, once somebody else is in my life, marriage. We're just, we're kind of living and, and, and we're waiting. Everything's kind of a holding pattern. We're like, I'm going to do me in college. But that's not what Paul does. He sets the example for us. He's not supposed to be there. And I just want to pose this question to you tonight. If you aren't living on mission here, What makes you think you're going to live on mission later? What makes you think if you're not living on mission here now, that you're not going to go to Dallas, do your finance thing, 
and all of a sudden you're going to start living on mission there. No, you're going to be like, well, I just started, so I can't talk about Jesus yet. Once I become partner, then I'll talk about Jesus. And then you become partner, and you're like, you know what? I'll wait till I start my own firm. That way I have control of everything, and then I can talk about whatever I want to talk about, right? It's always just later, 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 later. It's all, you're just waiting for an opportunity when reality, this is the opportunity that we've been given. That's how we live on mission. We work in the waiting. Why? Because missions isn't just a destination. It's not just a trip. It's a way of life. So the first way that we live on mission is by working in the waiting. The second thing we see here, again in verse 16, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. The second thing, Second way that we live on mission is we have a heart for others. You see, Paul didn't just show up and he was like, oh, these people are all lost. Sucks for them. I wasn't called here, right? I wasn't, I, it wasn't, meant, I wasn't meant to write a letter to this church. That's for somebody else to deal with. No. I love this word provoked in verse 16. His spirit was provoked within him. The Greek for this is this anger, this distress, this hurt, this urgency. It comes with this image of like, it, there's pain. And what I also love is that it wasn't that God gave him this provoking. It's that it came from his own heart. This word spirit is distinct in the Greek here. It was within him. As he looked around and saw, man, this place is full of idols. And so he got to work. Which brings me to my next question for us tonight. Are we hurt when we see people who need Jesus? Does that hurt us? Because sometimes I think it's easy to hurt for Southeast Asia. My heart does hurt when I think of it and when I pray for it and when I intercede on their behalf. Uh, My heart can hurt for it. But the reality is I think oftentimes we forget that we're we're meant to care about the people around us. We're meant to hurt, yes, about Southeast Asia, but also for those that are in Waco. For those that are sitting next to you in your classroom. How do we live on mission? We have a heart for others. Because let's just be honest. Most of us, we don't really care about others. What did you think about all day today? Myself included, I did the same thing. I thought of myself for more than the majority of today. Right? We're meant to have a heart for others so that everywhere we go, when we see people that don't know Jesus, our hearts are provoked. Just, I want you to, I want you to get an idea for a second. If you really cared about Baylor, let's just talk about Baylor for one moment. I want you to look around at one another. I want you to look up there, see the top where it says Paul J. Meyer Arena. Seriously, y'all look around. Look at all these people. I want you to realize something. All right, now look back up here. Lost all of you. (laughs) Hey, 
this is more than 10% of campus. If we cared, if our hearts were provoked and everyone agreed, we're going to leave here and we're going to invite 10 people. We wouldn't just reach undergraduate. That would include graduate. Baylor can be reached. I think part of the reason why Baylor hasn't fully been reached is because you and because me don't necessarily care. Well, that's some bad news, right? We don't tell people about Jesus because we don't care about others. Do you care about your roommate? As I said earlier, do you care about your classmate that sits next to you? For most of us, it's no. Which is why within this point, I want to make a very clear distinction that as I say, we have to have a heart for others. What we also need is prayer. We got heart problems. Part of our problem is we don't care about other people. We only care about ourselves. We need to pray for God to do something. Only God can change your heart. Try to change your heart right now. You go ahead. Do it. Fix it. Go. It's a constipation. It's not possible, okay? You can't. You can't change your heart. I can't change your heart. I can't even change my own heart. I'm like, come on. No. That's only a work that God can do. Which is why prayer is central to this point of having a heart for others. Pray that you would care for others. And even pray for others even if you don't care. Maybe the discipline will precede the desire. When it comes to having a heart for others, there's this famous story of an atheist who received a gift of a Bible. And he, go, he went on to say, he said, when I received this Bible, I wasn't mad. I wasn't mad. In fact, he responded, rather than being offended, he said, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them about it? This next quote we have on the screen, an atheist said this. He said, I mean, if I believed beyond the shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you, and you didn't believe that truck was bearing down on you. There is a certain point where I tackle you. And this is way more important than that. Man, this guy gets it. He's saying if, if this is true, because it sounds too good to be true, that there's everlasting life in a person named Jesus Christ, if that's true, I'm not offended by you giving me a Bible. That's the least that you should do. So the second point, how do I live on mission? Have a heart for others. Let's keep reading. In verse 17, let's continue to look at Paul's example for us of how we can live on mission. Verse 17 says this. So he, Paul, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this, this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. 
We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So again, Paul, stuck in Athens, gets to work. What I love is that he immediately, verse 17, let's look again very quickly. It says this. He reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with who? Those who happened to be there. And then, so he's, it's almost as if he's just going around everywhere. Synagogues, marketplace, whoever happens to be there, Paul's like, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. Everywhere he's going, he's kind of, he's creating conversations. It's this sense that he was just willing to tell anyone about Jesus. And what ends up happening is the, the philosophers catch wind and they're like, hey, come here. What do you have to say? We're interested. What do you have to say? And so And so Paul starts talking to him. He starts telling him about Jesus. And then what ends up happening after that, they're like, this is interesting. We've never heard of this thing. We think you're a preacher of foreign divinities. They're like, we've never heard this craziness before. This Jesus and the resurrection thing. And so that gets him an invitation to the Areopagus, which is like, the next level. So he starts just like one-on-one, marketplaces, synagogues, gets to the philosophers, then he gets a platform. The Areopagus is, is, is really two things at this time. What you need to know contextually is that the Areopagus is, is named after the, the hill of Ares, Mars Hill. It, it's, it's literally the hill of Ares, a Greek god of war. So he's going to a pagan hill and it's filled with the Areopagus is a group of people. And it, it's not just any group of people. It's actually this central place for intellect and religion and thought and philosophy. So Paul's just working his way up one, one step of the ladder at the time. But again, he started with just those who happened to be there. Which brings me to my third point of how do we live on mission We be faithful no matter the place or the platform. Again, Paul wasn't supposed to be there. But in the waiting, he started working. And even though he didn't start with the platform, he just started one-on-one with whoever would listen to him. And over time, it earned ears. It built trust. It built relationships. And I love this. Because again, too often you think sharing the gospel is me with a microphone telling people the gospel. But in reality, we are all meant to be faithful. And by faithful, I mean to share with others the love of Christ, both in action and in word. That's what I mean by faithful. To be faithful no matter the place or the platform. So that begs the question. When's the last time you shared the gospel? With words. Seriously. Think about it. Because I'm praying for the day that this whole Baylor light shine bright thing isn't just a marketing campaign. 
may it be true of who we are. But first, we've got to answer the question, when's the last time we shared the gospel? When's the last time we were actually a light? Because we're meant to be faithful no matter the place or the platform, which means even here in Waco. To illustrate this, uh, Corey Priest and I, we were in, uh, when we were in Southeast Asia, we found ourselves in a mosque. And it was it was awesome experience. It was such a sweet thing. We got to converse and talk about uh, Jesus and Islam and, and Christianity and all these different things. It was an amazing conversation. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget being with Corey Priest. And, and I'm like, are we about to do this right now? Like, are we about to talk about Jesus with 17,000 Muslims around us? Are we about... Am, I'm like kind of looking at him, and I can tell he's he's like old school. He's my dude, but he is looking around like, is anyone? He's like protecting us. He's he's just sitting there like eyes peeled, just being a good shepherd. And, and so we start talking about Jesus, me and this guy, and it was an amazing conversation. But let me tell you, that was pretty easy to be faithful in that place and with that platform. Although it sounds kind of intense because it was you know, overseas at a mosque, blah, 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 blah. But the reality was I probably am never gonna see that guy again. So when I say be faithful no matter the place or the platform, what I really mean is that as you go to class tomorrow and you sit next to those people that you still haven't talked to, you still don't know their name, You laugh, but you know, honestly, you might even see him here at Vertical tonight. Like, that's the place and the platform that you've been given right now, student. So I tell that story of Southeast Asia because I'm like, hey, that's kind of easy. It's a lot harder when your place and your platform is just kind of the people you see every day, the roommates that you live with, the classmates that you sit by, the people that you're in organizations with, the people that you play intramurals with. The team that you're on, the major that you're in, those are your places and your platforms that you're meant to be faithful in. So as we continue to answer the question, how do I live on mission? The third point was be faithful no matter the place of the platform. Let's keep reading. This is a good Bible. Let's go. 22. Is that right? 22? Where are we? 22. Here we go. This is game day. Paul's getting his chance. He's in front of the Areopagus, right? The 30 philosophers and probably a crowd as well on the hill of the Greek god of war. How ironic. Okay, here we go. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far 
from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. I stop there. That's a good sermon right there. That'll preach itself. It's kind of long though. If you tuned out, hang with me. Come back right now. Now's the time. I'm going to give a spark notes. <laughs> so if you tuned out, there's grace. Here's the deal. What Paul is doing is he's showing up. He's being faithful no matter the place of the platform. And what he goes, to, goes on to do is he says, hey, I've been in Athens. I've been walking around. I've seen that you guys are some religious people. You worship some things. I even saw this altar that said there's to the unknown God. That's great. Speaking of God, let's talk about him, right? And then what Paul goes on to do is he starts with creation. Do you see that? He starts by saying the God who made the world and everything in it, and he ends with the end times. So he gives this overview of all of the Bible. And then he even gives a response Repentance. And then what he does is he gives a reason. Jesus. So Paul steps in to Athens and he just, he steps up and he delivers this address straight to the Athenians. It's just for them. Which is what brings me to my fourth point tonight. When asking the question, how do I live on mission? It's this, be bold and relevant. Bold and relevant? What? Why? There's some things I want to point out to you here that are really, really important. And honestly, it geeks me out. And I'm not much of a geek, or at least I try not to look like one. And so here's the deal. Paul is surrounded by people he does not know. Bold. But what he does know of those people is that they're religious. What he's saying there, is it an insult or is it a compliment? Yes. It's something, that's for sure. He's just speaking the truth. He's just calling it how it is. He's looking around, he's going, you guys are religious. It was said of the time in Athens, there were more gods in Athens than people in Athens. Easier to find a god than a person is the way it was said. So he's perceiving He's relevant, and so relevant that he found an altar to an unknown God. And Paul, Paul says, no, I know God. Well, you need to know about this statue of the unknown God. For those that aren't believers here tonight, if you're like, I'm, I don't know this whole Christianity thing, following Jesus thing, that's not for me. Tune in real quick. What you need to know is that in history, this altar existed. You can look it up in 
Pausanias' description of Greece, 114, he talks about the altar that the Athenians made to an unknown God. So this altar is in history. And Paul's just looking around being relevant. And he's not just relevant in that sense. Remember how he was talking to the philosophers, the Epicureans and the Stoics? Verse 25, he speaks directly to the Epicureans and the Stoics. When he says, God is not served by human hands, the Epicureans believe that God was, was above human temples and that, that God wasn't s- sustained by human provision. So this would have appealed to them. And then verse 25, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. You're like, what does that have to do with anything? The last part of this verse, God is dealing with God providing for his people life and material needs, which, is, which would have suited the stoic philosophy that God is in everything. God is in everything. So as we read this and as we, as we better understand the context of what's going on and what, what's going on in Athens and Greece at that time, what you need to know is that Paul is being bold and relevant. He's not just preaching this random sermon. No, no, no. He knows exactly who he's talking to. I could go on and on about ways that he is, he is being relevant. One of the last things I'll say is that he, he used the word first man. Who's the first man? Not rhetorical. First man? Adam. Why did he say first man and not Adam? Because they're not Jewish. They don't know Adam. And in fact, they don't want to know the first man. Because at the time, the Athenians thought they were the superior race. Racism isn't new. Still not over. So Paul's saying, no, we all came from the same place, the same man. We all started together. He is stepping on toes, boldly and relevantly. So all this is going on. Why? Paul's standing on a hill named after a Greek god, surrounded by people he doesn't know, that actually happened to despise the resurrection, philosophers who completely disagreed with him, people who thought they were superior to him and to all other people, and an intellectual capital of the world, Paul seems to find common ground and boldness. Why does he do this? He's relevant, bold, sensitive, thoughtful, and clear. Why? Because that is how we reach people with the gospel. Because it is good news that somebody died on all of our behalves. That should be something different. We should be clear. Hey, somebody died for you. We should be clear when somebody raises from the dead. How many of you know people that raise from the dead? Whoa, this should be new news. It is bold, but it's the most relevant information there is in this world. The good news of Jesus Christ, that he came and lived the perfect life on all of our behalfs, and he died the death that all of us deserved, and he rose from the dead to prove that his message was true. So be bold and relevant. What does that look like? Anxiety, stress. You can talk to people around you about anxiety and stress 
I got a text standing over here right as vertical started from a student that just left Baylor because of anxiety. Broke my heart. I'm like, man, you want to be relevant and bold? Be like, man, this has been a stressful week. And I'm not just saying pity me. I'm saying I can't sleep. Let them in. Talk about stress. Talk about anxiety. Let people in. Talk about relationships. You all care about them. Ring by spring, right? Talk about how God's design is, is so amazing, but it's so challenging. You can talk about that with other people. Or maybe talk, talk, about, <laughs> talk about how, you know, we have a tendency to want to wear these letters or wear something that, that gives us, you know, meaning. We're like, man, I just, I want to be a part of something. But, but I don't know why, and, and that's a wrestle, that's a tension. These are relevant things. They're kind of bold to talk about because around here, it, it's all about, you know, putting on this persona. Just looking the part, looking good on the outside. When inside, a lot of us are wasting away, which is why I love what Logan said about about. Power being made perfect through weakness. Power is made perfect through weakness. Be bold and relevant. The last point is quick. Let's look at verse 32. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Again, I told you. They thought the resurrection was stupid. Any resurrection, stupid. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysus, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. And we'll stop there. The last point tonight on how do I live on mission is be obedient no matter the outcome. You notice what happens here? Paul's like, I'm gonna be bold and relevant. I'm not wasting my time here in Athens. I'm gonna tell all of you about about Jesus, I'm going to give you an idea of what it looks like in this kingdom where God created the world. This is how the world's going to end. He's giving this this vision of what's to come and how Jesus is, is the ultimate judge, but we have him. He's near to us. You can know him. And so Paul is giving this message. He's, he's clarifying the gospel for these people. And what ends up happening? People make fun of him. They mock him. Some people are like, oh, I'll give that another try. I'll listen to you again if you came back. And then there's a third group of people that decide to follow. They follow Paul, but more importantly, they follow Jesus, who Paul is chasing after, not in a literal sense. And so he's obedient no matter the outcome. And honestly, it's kind of funny. Paul left their midst. It's like casual. He's like, all right, cool. Y'all responded. That sounds good. I'll see you later. Even though people are making fun of him, even though some people are like, wait, I might entertain you to talk to me about this again. He's like, no, no, no. Like, come on, follow me. If you're interested in this Jesus person, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on to where God's called me, another place. Paul's so just like, it almost seems like he's nonchalant about it, which is kind of encouraging. We're just here to share with people, the love of Christ, no matter the outcome. Keep sharing. And if you haven't started sharing, start sharing. And don't worry how it's received. 
If they're like, whoa, 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 what are you, this whole Jesus thing, I don't want to talk about it. Be like, great, let's talk about Canes or Chick-fil-A, right? Like everyone loves food. Just move on. Don't worry about it. Why? Because the outcome isn't up to you. The only thing that's required of you and of me is obedience. To tell people the good news of what Jesus has done on our behalf. You don't have to worry about how the message is received. That's God's role. I love what Paul said in his letter to the Corinthians. Paul planted, Apollos watered. Only God can give growth. So you trust him. Pray that he would work. And don't worry about the response. But be bold and relevant and winsome as you do it. Be faithful no matter the place of the platform. Have a heart for others as you do it. Work in the waiting, even in the season of college. Now's the time. Now's the time. So tonight we answer the question, how do I live on mission? We work in the waiting. We have a heart for others. We're faithful no matter the place of the platform. We're bold and relevant. We're obedient no matter the outcome. So I want to ask this last question for you tonight. Are you living on mission? Answer it yourself. If your answer is no, here's your tendency. To leave here, take this five-step process and go do, 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 do. That's what I would have done. because I don't know if you know this, but I was once in your shoes. But I don't want you to leave here and just do, 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 do. I want you to know, you can't live up to Paul's example. He wrote half the New Testament. You haven't written half of your paper that's due tomorrow. You haven't. (laughs) And you know what? God still loves you. You can't live up to Paul. You can't. You can look up to him. We can learn from him. How do we live on mission? We know Jesus. The one that Paul was talking about. We abide in him as we talked about. The first week, we abide in him. Apart from him, we can do absolutely nothing. So if you leave here and you work, 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 it won't matter if you don't know Jesus and he isn't the one leading you in and through all of these things. And honestly, I don't live up to this. I didn't live up to it when I was in your shoes. And I I dodged a homeless man like last week and I was like, oh my gosh. I'm so glad God still loves me in spite of the fact that my heart just isn't always there. But I do want you to take these things and I want you to look up to the example of Paul but I want you to do it by knowing and living with the person of Jesus. 
because I don't know if you know this, but I'm in Waco for this reason. Because I was once in your shoes and I was missing it. I was the king of Baylor Complacent University. This place has a tendency to be complacent. And I was leading the charge of complacency. I'm here to kill complacency. It's literally why I came back. Because I realized that I was not living on mission. I was living for myself. And I'm just thankful that God revealed himself to me in a way and showed me that he still loves me even though I missed it when I was in your shoes. He could still use me. I actually believe y'all can do far greater things than anything I could ever do. You have a chance to live on mission now. If you don't think this time of life is meaningful, I want you to know something. I heard a story yesterday I actually heard about three or four stories of all these different people who were at this gathering last night. There was this passion worship night thing going on and and story after story kept coming up of this Bible study that happened back in the day of this thing called choice. And I'm like, choice, like, you know, it's not around today, but all these people are talking about choice and how how this Bible study that looked kind of like this change their life. You remember that missionary I told you about in Southeast Asia that we went to go visit? When we were over there, he was like, oh my gosh, choice. I went, I loved it. And now I've devoted my life to being overseas. Choice played a huge role in that. I hear choice, 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 this and that, this and that. That's amazing. What I got to hear last night was part of the story of how it all happened. And, and, and part of this story, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this sentence that was said to somebody. And I'm going to say it to y'all. And I'm going to say it to me. There was a sophomore at Baylor who once told a man named Louis Giglio. She said, you know God is bringing you to Baylor for a reason. That was it. You know God is bringing you to Baylor for a reason. Her name was Kay Dossie. She went on to be with the Lord at age 27. Louis tells the story that he took the words that she said. And at first he thought, I'm just going to Waco you know God is bringing you to Baylor for a reason? He was just coming to Waco because he was dating a girl he wanted to marry here. That's probably why y'all showed up. You thought it was ringed by spring tonight, but in fact, God had bigger plans. Louis started the Bible study called Choice because of this, this young sophomore Baylor that spoke this in. You know, God is bringing you to Baylor for a reason. They start a Bible study in a room. It grows exponentially. 10 years later, Louis leaves. He goes on to start faithfully this movement of college students called Passion. Kay passed, and she never got to see the fruit 
of her faithfulness in this place that she was in. If you don't think you can have impact now, you're buying the lie of the devil. Because I'm telling each and every one of you tonight that you are here at Baylor University for a reason. I'm gonna add MCC and TSTC to that too. Because God's doing something here in Waco. His kingdom is coming. And I think he's inviting us all to be a part of the process as we get to look up to Paul and ask the question, how do I live on mission? May this group of students change the world as they realize that they and you are here for a reason. Let's pray. God, 10-1, today's date, may it be a date in history where all of us know that we are here at Baylor for a reason. May the faithfulness of Kay Dossie and the words that she spoke to Louis Giglio long ago be spoken over this group and myself included. May we be a part of what you are doing to reach the world. But first, help us to be a part of what you're doing here in Waco, Texas, Lord. I beg of you, would you show us what it looks like to live on mission? May you be glorified. Lord Jesus, give us a heart for the people. We can't fix our hearts. Would you change our hearts tonight? May we care and love others so we can live on mission and glorify you. I beg of you to do this, Lord. I pray all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.